ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, borei pri hagafin, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai Mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh Norat ehilot o'osef ele 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabat, la'asot et hashabat la'doratam barit olam, b'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam, Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi shvat vayenefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. This week, uh, our Torah portion comes from the portion right after the Ten Commandments, Mishpatim. Mishpatim means ordinances. And this particular Torah portion is sometimes referred by Torah teachers as the epitome of the Torah. Because in this portion are the largest number of direct commandments that are given to us from the law of Moses. Just to recap how things transpired there, uh, in last week's portion, while we know that God came down on Mount Sinai, uh, the incredible experience of the children of Israel being at the base of it, seeing the fire, seeing the smoke, uh, hearing the sound of the shofar, and actually hearing the voice of God proclaim the Ten Commandments. Now, that event in and of itself is just absolutely stunning. However, those Ten Commandments, while they are tremendous uh, standard uh, for us in the faith as to what it, we consider to be doing that which is right versus sinning against God, uh, they don't cover the, the uh, incredible amount of detail that is necessary for us to kind of walk them all out in the life that we all live. And thus, uh, Moses was then dispatched to go back up and to write down in a book um, additional commandments and additional things that go with the Ten Commandments. The, um, when the expression is given, uh, upon these two commandments, the whole law hangs, you got to have the Ten Commandments in place before any of the other commandments that are given in the Torah make sense. They all, they're all suspended off of those base commandments. Um, I was, uh, I've been asked, and this is a, a standard question that's asked of Torah teachers, of the 613 commandments, do we have to keep them all? The answer is no. Now, don't misunderstand me. Should we obey the Lord and all of his commandments? Yes. However, not all of the commandments are applicable to every person. For example, you know, if you are a man, you don't need to worry about the commandments that are given for women and vice versa. If you're a priest, uh, then you need to keep certain other commandments that the average son of Israel, citizens of Israel, don't have to keep. If you're the high priest, there's a series of other commandments that you have to keep. Even the other priests don't have to keep. Depending on your station in life, 
there are commandments that address uh, where you're at. And thus, that's the reason why God instructed Moses to get a book and get ready to write down, because in this portion, Mishpatim, the ordinances of God, this is when he begins to delineate depending on what station of life that you're in. The common commandments of us all, regardless of whether you're a priest, a man, a woman, a child, whatever the case may be, are the Ten Commandments. Those are common to all of us uh, to keep. But after that, it requires you go through Mishpatim and the rest of the Torah for the additional commandments for specific standards and conditions uh, to be able to walk out the faith. The um, I've always watched... Um, uh, people, especially Christians, who have kind of a anti-law posture, they, they think that the Messiah came, did away with all of that, and so forth, that they treat all of this instruction from God, the law, and particularly these commandments, as um, in a very negative light, and actually have been known to speak against them, and it, it's tragic. Uh, because those words are spoken out of sheer ignorance, uh, failure to understand even what the commandment says and what it's trying to explain. And there are a host of situations in life uh, that every person goes through that if you knew these commandments as to what God says about this or that, you would be so much better off by following his instructions than you would be to try to create your own perspective on how things should be done. But more than that, there is this business of where we commit to God uh, to do what he says, and then we turn right around and don't do what we said we would do. And in the case of the children of Israel, one of the more profound elements about the whole Torah and the wilderness experience is that we keep seeing examples by the children of Israel. Once they uh, w were taken to Mount Sinai, God asked them and said to them, I'm making a proposal to you, Israel. I will be your God. You'll be my treasured possession. What do you say? Do you want to be my people or not? And the people responded, even before the Ten Commandments or any of these other commandments were given, they said, yes, we want to be God's people, and yes, we will do whatsoever the Lord says. And it's like a, it was like a marriage vow that was made. Uh, you know, when a couple comes forward, uh, they don't know what the future holds. They don't know what's going to happen to them in the course of their life. And the husband stands up and says, I'm going to be your husband, and uh, I'm going to provide for you as a husband should. And the wife says, uh, I'm going to be your wife uh, under no, uh, no conditions. I'm still going to be your wife. And the vows sometimes are uh, put in the framework of you know, for richer or for poor, uh, sick or healthy. Um, good days, bad days. In other words, none of that, none of those conditions no longer apply. They have made a vow that they're going to be the husband and the wife to each other. When God came to Mount Sinai, that's the kind of vow that was made. 
And by the way, just to kind of shock some of my Christian friends, when Israel made that commitment to God, he also made it for you. Now, I know you weren't there, and I know you're going to argue, well, that was for the Jewish people, I'm a Gentile. No, that's not true. There were not Jewish people there. There were Hebrews. They were part of the family of Abraham. And oh, by the way, you being a believer in the Messiah, you're part of the family of Abraham. And your ancestors, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of which you are part of that assembly, if you're planning on going to the kingdom of God after you pass, they made this commitment. And we didn't make it, but we are subject to it. And our ancestors told God, whatsoever you say, Lord, we will do. Now, that generation that made that commitment, they received the instructions. But it became apparent, even while they were in the wilderness, that they were turning away from the commitment they had made. They weren't obeying the Lord. God had to judge them. And in fact, that generation that made that commitment, they lost their ticket to the promised land. It got so bad, God said, they're not going in. Their descendants will go in. Um, and then even after Israel crossed the Jordan, entered into the land, we have um, the prophets coming to us and repeatedly saying to Israel, that you're still under this commitment. You said you would obey the Lord, but you're not obeying the Lord, and you're going to suffer the consequences, uh, as others before you have, for not obeying the Lord. Now, this same thing applies to us today, and I'm talking about uh, believers. I'm talking about believers in Yeshua the Messiah and Jesus the Christ. Whether you like it or not, it is a biblical fact that our ancestors committed us in our relationship with God, that God would be our deliverer, he would be our savior, he'd be our king, that we're going to go live in his kingdom. And we said that if you'll be our God, then we will do whatsoever you say. And there's no conditions that go with that. Now, our Haftor portion is illustrating this dramatically. So we are in Jeremiah uh, chapter 33, beginning at verses uh, 25 and 26 that goes with our Mishpatim. Let me read those to you very briefly. Um, Jeremiah 33 verses 25 and 26, just a very clear, simple statement that reminds us we're under this covenant. We entered into this agreement. It reads as follows. Verse, Thus says the Lord, if my covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, that I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, and not taking after their descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Jeremiah is reminding everybody, let's see, you know that covenant that God made with our ancestors? You know Moses there in the wilderness and so forth. How long is that supposed to last? According to God... 
How long is that in effect? He says, well, the answer is given. If you can change the sun's order of rising in the morning, setting in the evening, and the order of the stars that are in the heaven, if you can change that, then yes, it's possible that I, God, will reject this people in the covenant I made with them. Now, let's go ahead and speak to the obvious. There, the, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun and the order of the stars in the heavens have not changed since the days that God made this covenant with mankind. And he says this covenant will remain in effect as long as those things are there. Now, those are pretty permanent things. So what is this condition that theologians and religious men have come up with to say, no, the covenant God made with all of his people at Mount Sinai is no longer applicable to us. What, and, and by the way, they're going to say, oh, um, you know, that the Messiah coming and what he did, he changed all that. Well, if I've looked recently... I don't see the evidence that the Messiah changed the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, and the order of the stars. He didn't do that. So that sign that speaks to the permanency of the covenant God made at Mount Sinai is still fully in effect. And furthermore, if you'll just for a moment, do you realize how insulting it must sound to God that we men would go around suggesting that the Son of God came here for the purpose of countering what his father said. Uh, totally absurd. The scripture is filled with all of the characteristics of God to say that the Father and the Son are one. That they don't have different programs. They don't have different agendas. God didn't set up through the Father, this is the plan, I'm going to deal with mankind through Israel and Moses and, and so forth. But now my son's going to come, we're going to, we're going to change all of that. I'm going to dismiss Israel. I'm going to set them aside. I'm disappointed with them. I'm going to set them aside. And I'm going to go work with all of the wonderful Gentile nations out here. That stuff is actually taught to believers in the world today. That is church teaching. That is not biblical teaching. That is not the truth. What is the truth is that God has given these commandments and the history of mankind has been trying to come up with ways to counter what God's commandments are, get around them, refuse to keep them, and make excuses for them. Now, in our Haftor portion, we have an excellent example of that. Jeremiah in his day, uh, if you'll turn with me now to Jeremiah 34, and we're going to begin at uh, verse 8. Let me read for you just a bit uh, of what our Haftoah portion has to say. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, King Zedekiah, and he made a covenant with all the people that were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them. If you remember, the Babylonians were coming. There was great fear in the land. Jeremiah is a prophet foretelling of the Babylonians coming. And this is a tough situation for Israel. 
and verse nine, and that each man should set free his male servant, and uh, and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, so that no one should keep them, a Jew, his brother, in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed, who had entered into the covenant, which that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant, so that no one should keep them any longer in bondage. And they obeyed and set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male servants and the female servants whom they had set free and brought them into subjection for male servants and for female servants. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you shall set free his Hebrew brother, who has been sold to you and has served six years, and you shall send him out free from you. But for your forefathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear to me. By the way, the commandment that we just he just made reference to, it's in our Torah portion, Mishpatim. The Torah portion we have for the week is that commandment. And he's reminding them, this was a commandment from God. You guys haven't been doing it. Now, I've encouraged you to keep the commandment. So they start to keep it, but they turn around and don't keep it. Let me read further. Although recently you had turned and done what is right, is my sight, each man proclaiming a release to his neighbor, and you had made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name, yet you turned and profaned my name. And each man took back his male servant, and each man his female servant, and brought them into subjection to your male servants and female servants. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord, and to the sword and to pestilence and to famine, and I will make you a terror for all the nations of the earth. And I will give men who have transgressed my covenants, who has not yet fulfilled the words of the covenant, which you made before me, when they cut in half, cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. And the officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, and I will give them into the hand of their enemies and under the hand of those seeking the life, and their dead bodies shall be food for birds of the sky and, and beasts of the earth. Then Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those seeking their life, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has gone away from you. So God says, hey, you guys entered into an agreement with me. I said I would do certain things for you. We entered into agreement. All I asked you to do was keep the commands that I gave to your ancestors. All I did was kind of try to renew that covenant, get you to follow the commandments that I gave to Moses and to all of you. And at first, there was a zeal. There was excitement. Yes, let us obey the Lord. Let us return to the Lord. Let us do that which is right. Besides that, he says he's going to do good things for us. 
But then a little time went by. And then, you know, you got up on a different side of the bed. I don't know. Something changed slightly for you. And all of a sudden, all of your interest and desire and zeal to follow the Lord, it got set aside. And you decided to pursue other things and different things, things that God had not talked to you about. And as a result, you walked away from the commandments God has given to you, and you decided, I'm just going to conveniently ignore and forget the agreement that I and the Lord had. Now, some are going to beg off and say, well, I didn't understand that was the agreement. That's not going to be a defense. Well, circumstances changed to where it wasn't best to do that. That's not going to be a defense against this either. In fact, there is no defense against anyone denying the commandments of God. Now, this is what transpired in the days of Jeremiah that went right back to our Torah portion and that generation that came out of Egypt. But let's fast forward now to us. There is a movement in the world today, it's been happening in this last generation, where there's a group of people who've been living under the different theological teachings about how grace has replaced the law, that the church is now what God is doing as opposed to Israel, and therefore all that stuff the Bible had there to say about Israel uh, before, that is really not applicable to us. You know, I'm, I'm not a Jew, so I don't have to do that. Uh, I'm a Gentile. And all of my teachers and all of the leaders and the vast majority of the brethren, they're all saying, oh, this is all we have to do. We have the grace of God, and we're, we're not subject to the commandments of God. All we have is love and forgiveness and grace, and isn't God good? And that the God of justice and righteousness, really, he's kind of been set aside, now we have our friend, Jesus, who walks around and we get to eat fish dinners with him and he heals us and everything is good and, and calm and we're no more wars. We just love and forgive. And oh, by the way, all those other commandments, like for example, a man shall not lie with a man, about lying and deceit and corruption, about theft, uh, all of that is kind of up for grabs. You know, all that stuff in the law, clean and unclean, oh, you know, <laughs> bacon is wonderful. We have refrigeration now. I mean, everything is wonderful. And, and isn't Jesus good? Um, you are sadly mistaken. You're worse than the generation that came out of Egypt. You're worse than the children of Israel that were in the land before the exile. You have the benefit 
of the redemption of the Messiah, the fulfillment of a host of prophecies. And you've decided because God has fulfilled his good word in bringing us a redeemer that he's decided to set aside all of his word of instructions and righteousness. And you've decided you're going to decide what is righteousness for your life. And for those of you who think, well, the pastor is the one that decides that. They study the Bible. I don't study the Bible. Then you are just following the blind into the ditch. Now, these issues have been going on for a long time. There's been voices throughout the years calling for this is not right. But in this last generation, there's another group of people who have stood up and said, wait a minute, this, this whole thing we're talking about, wait, let's go back and see what Moses really said. And they've discovered, for example, that that agreement that Moses and the children of Israel made, that was an agreement for all of mankind. They're discovering that these commandments that were given at Mount Sinai, this are for all of mankind. It's for all of the people of God. That it wasn't just the Jews that were there. In fact, the Jews weren't even there. It was the children of Israel. They were the Hebrews. And throughout the history of Israel, we've seen where this issue has popped up frequently. And again, it always has the same answer. Return to the Lord and obey his commandments. And now in this generation, we have a group of believers that are returning back to Moses to learn the commandments of the Lord. In fact, you watching this broadcast right now with me, in your heart, you've decided, I want to go back and see what Moses instructed us to do. What, what, what were the commandments that God gave us? And by the way, in this Torah portion, you'll have the largest number of them in a single Torah portion. And it's about learning those commandments and understanding which ones apply to me. And by the way, under what conditions do we keep them and to what standard uh, do we keep them? But our heart is to want to obey the Lord. And now our relationship with the Messiah is directly connected to if we love the Lord, then we'll obey his commandments. Our relationship with the Lord, the Messiah, is like what the Apostle John says. If you say you know him, but you won't keep his commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. That's the New Testament. Do we hear that verse emphasized? No. Not in the teaching that we have in the church. Not what has many generations before us. Not what my parents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents ever heard. But in this generation, things are turning around. We are the people, as the prophet said at the end of the age, that would turn back to Moses. And part of what we're doing here is exactly the fulfillment of those words. We're turning back to Moses and we're learning. But fundamentally... We've got to understand this. Let's not do what happened in the days of Jeremiah, where you temporarily come back. You say, oh, yes, yes, I should obey the Lord. And then you turn right around and walk away from it again. 
Do not do that. Be those who are faithful. Learn his instructions, learn his commandments, and do them. And remember, there are no conditions out there. Your family don't like you, your friends don't like you anymore, uh, your church brethren don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't care what the conditions are. You obey the Lord. Now, God says, if you'll do that, if you'll pay attention to him and follow his instructions, his blessings will follow upon you. Obedience produces blessings. Now, we all want the blessings. There's no question about it. But it's essential. If you're going to pursue the blessings, you have to pursue being obedient to the Lord. But even more importantly, let me say this to you in the days that we live. See, I think we're coming to the end of days. And there's this incredible prophetic scenario about what's supposed to happen. The Lord comes back. He judges his enemies. And, and, and there's great trauma that will come upon the earth. It's referred to as the great tribulation. And no, you're not getting raptured out before it. You're going to go through it. Let me just say to you, your path will be a lot better if while you're going through that end time scenario, if you've learned to obey the Lord. If you flaunt the idea that God's grace is going to overcome and you don't have any responsibility with before it, let me go ahead and just make a prediction for you. It's a very safe one. The Bible, in fact, says it. You're going to die. The only path to live through the end time scenario is to obey the Lord. That's the reason why the book of Revelation, speaking to the end time saints, it says, these are those who have the testimony of Yeshua as the Messiah and keep his commandments. That is a twofold definition. If you're going to be an end time saint and make it, you need both. Now, I'm not, not taking anything away from our testimony of Yeshua and his forgiveness of sin and his salvation of work. But if you're going to live, you need to obey the commandments of how to live. And that's what most of the Torah is all about, how to live prosperously and successfully in this world. That's our portion for this Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, to chapter 5, where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. And as always, let me turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we uh, once again can come together, joining together with many brethren across the nation here through this broadcast, and for this Sabbath and this time that we uh, dig into your word, your instruction. And Father, I pray that it would come alive and be powerful uh, once again to us, ministering to us in our most holy faith. We thank you once again for this time together. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our tour portion this week, uh, as it's already been uh, read for our uh, broadcast, is Mishpatim, which is the portion that immediately follows the Ten Commandments and is all of the additional commandments that follow that are trying to teach the children of Israel how to live according to the rule of law within the community of Israel and in obedience to the Word of God. 
Our Torah portion, Mishpatim, uh, means uh, ordinances or judgments. In fact, it shares the same Hebrew root word as uh, shoftim, which is the plural word for judges, and the singular word mishpat and shafat uh, all share the same root word, meaning judging or judgments. Now, when we look at this, we are understanding that the administration of justice comes from judges, Judges that look at the law, know what the law is, and then righteously choose uh, what is the right judgment from one matter or one case to another. And in our Torah portion, it describes some of these things. It talks about judges being uh, in place to judge on certain matters, what's the value of one thing versus another. One of the most fascinating things about our Torah portion that I love bringing out is that our, in our Torah portion of Mishpatim is the only place in all of the Torah that the Hebrew word Elohim, which is normally translated as God, is actually translated as judges, as a judge. And it's several times in our Torah portion that the term judge is actually translated Elohim. And I love the parallel to the idea that God is our judge. God is the righteous judge. Now, we have an understanding that within a community, we have to appoint men to make some of these judgments and these determinations. And what we are instructed to do, of course, is to find righteous men, righteous judges that would determine all of these things and these factors. But let us always remember, of course, that it is God who is the righteous judge and that in some cases we have to look to God's judgment in certain matters rather than the judgment, perhaps, of man, who always seems to have a bias in some, for some way, some form or fashion. And so we have to strike this balance, understanding that God is the righteous judge, yet we still have to work and live within a community, getting along with one another, obeying certain laws. And those, some of the laws that are in this Torah portion, of course, are very, uh, they're very logical. They make a lot of sense. You will have the laws specifically outlining, once again, not to murder. What's the difference between manslaughter and murder? What's, what is negligent homicide? Where it's, when it's talking about that you loan your ox to a neighbor and that you know that this ox is dangerous. And yet if you don't warn your neighbor or don't say anything to your neighbor and then the, the harm comes, that falls on you for not understanding or not uh, sharing the knowledge that this ox or this thing you just loaned to, the, to your neighbor has the possibility of harming the user. And so there's all these different uh, laws that are given for us in this tour portion that are all logical in the course and the sake of working within a community. But once again, we are talking about the Lord is the one who brings forth these judgments and that not every uh, issue that you might run into life is going to be answered with these laws and with these commandments that come from the book of Exodus. In fact, sometimes we're just going to have to be judges and there's going to have to be the Lord is going to have to intervene on some of these matters. Let me first by saying this quote here in John 7, 24, it says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. This is the balance that is, it's the same testimony that was given of Abraham that the reason why Abraham was uh, the friend of God and why God chose Abraham as the man that he entered into covenant with and through his relationship with Abraham, all other covenant relationships with man is patterned after that one, is that Abraham's testimony was that he made righteous judgments. 
And that the Messiah himself specifically says and references that, that when you make a judgment, do not judge according to appearance what you might see and what might be on the outside, but make righteous judgment because sometimes what you see on the outside is not what is the heart and the intent of something on the inside. The phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, absolutely has a, has a biblical standard to it in the fact that the Messiah himself said, do not judge by appearance. So with that as a precursor, now looking at Matthew chapter 5, which I've described before is that Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the greatest Torah portion, Torah teaching that has ever taken place on the Mount of Beatitudes, and the, the, on the Sermon on the Mount, by which the uh, Messiah gave these words, is that he was teaching the commandments. He was teaching Moses. Now, was he teaching against Moses? Absolutely not. He was teaching in a way that filled up full of meaning what the commandments were. We already talked about uh, last week, talking about you shall not commit murder. And Messiah said in Matthew 5, 20, verse 21, you've heard it said you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, if you do it in your heart, if you think it, if you intend to do it, even without committing the action, you have committed the sin internally within yourself. That the Messiah is pointing out that there is more to Torah than just the physical commandments being executed to the letter of the law with precision and accuracy. It's more, there's more to it than that. And specifically, he, he addresses some of these commandments. And then one that comes from our Torah portion here, and many people have heard this before, even people who don't know exactly what part of the Bible it's from, have heard the phrase, eye for eye or tooth for tooth, or whatever, it, when it says, and, and that is a commandment that comes from our Torah portion, specifically when it says that when harm comes to somebody, and that you now need a, you need a judge to preside over what is the equal value or payment for what the harm that was done, then you use the term or the phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, the understanding of that always was not that if somebody uh, caused damage or harm to somebody's eye, that you then cause the harm back to your eye. But no, for a judge to make a righteous judgment to determine the assess the value of that harm and that that is the part that needs to be repaid or needs to be returned back. And so the scripture, the Torah portion, gives us this idea that justice can be served. If some harm comes to me, then I can go to a judge and I'm going to get equal value for well, the harm that came to me, something that's equal so that everything is all fair and everything's square between me and my brother. This was the understanding of what eye for eye means. However, the Messiah chimed in on this, once again on the Sermon on the Mount, at verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, and he brings out something that is deeper, greater, than just the trying to get what's equal or what's fair. The Messiah said this, You have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone also uh, wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So this is more, the Messiah is trying to teach us here that there is better for you to not seek equal value, 
But for you to actually, if somebody is seeking something from you, you actually give more to them. This is sort of fascinating where it's like, you know, in a, in a fair's fair, equal society that many of us would be fighting for or struggling to, to have with from one brother, one uh, fellow community, citizen with one another, that we would want something equal. The Messiah is teaching us, <coughs> excuse me, that we are to see a greater value than what we might assess with our own eyes. Remember what I said, judge not according to appearance, because on appearance level, you might see that it's like, okay, that's equal and that's equal, so everything's fair, right? It says no, but that's not what it said. Judge according to righteous judgment, doing what is right, because sometimes the way that the Messiah brought up some of these scenarios, I always thought was fascinating. That if somebody wanted to sue you for your tunic, your tunic, like, like their clothing, like so, there's some sort of covering, that this is almost like the reason why somebody would sue somebody for a tunic is because somebody needed the tunic, like that the, the clothing was needed. If you're looking at it that way, you might say, well, goodness, th- does that person need clothing? Is that person in so much need that they would have to file a lawsuit to sue something, somebody for a piece of clothing? And it's like, and now I know there's other interpretations and there's deeper interpretations to that. So maybe this is just too much of a surface level kind of idea. But if you do look at it this way, it's kind of interesting kind of the way it turns out. That person is in need if they are trying to get a piece of clothing. And the Messiah says, give him your cloak as well. If this person is so at their end to to have to sue you for your clothing, then you know what? Just give it to the guy because there might be some sort of need there that you don't even realize. Or the one where it says you show, if some asks you to, compels you to walk with him one mile, why would somebody ask for you to accompany somebody for one mile? Well, in ancient times, the only reason that would be the case is that if you needed mutual protection, you needed some protection, you needed a witness, you needed somebody there with you because the journey might be too hard. And so the Messiah says, if somebody needs you to walk with them one, walk with them two. Do more so that you actually do more for the person for the thing that they need. Not just looking at the surface level of what the person is asking for, but give a greater value to what is being asked of you. Because that's the way God sees it, and that's the way the Messiah sees it. Remember the widow's might. Remember, they're sitting there at the temple, and they see the old lady put in two little copper coins right there. And the Messiah said, that woman put in more than everybody else. And they're like, what are you talking about? We all saw what she put in. She put in the smallest amount of money that you could possibly put in. And the Messiah said, no, she put in more. And we know that's because she was poor, and that that money was more valuable to her, and it was a, probably a greater percentage of her household budget that went into that offering than what anybody else walking in and putting some money in as they entered into the temple. And so we understand that, yes, she had a greater need, but ultimately what the Messiah sees, though, is the Messiah sees a greater value, not just what the appearance of the value is, not just what the value appears to be, but the deeper, more spiritual aspect of what it is worth. Now, this is, a, this is a concept that we actually need to learn in all of our lives in the case of what we see in our fellow brother. 
what we see in someone else or what, because you might see somebody and you might think that that person hasn't, you know, on surface, it's all like, I don't know if that person, do they really work hard? Do, do they, uh, we look at how they dress or how they carry themselves and all these things. And we, in our lives, we pass judgment on the appearance of things. And we sometimes see in other people not that much value. When we're talking about, you know, greatest in the kingdom, least in the kingdom, the Bible talks about those sort of things. And we might sit there and we might think in our own minds, hmm, maybe I can uh, play God for a second here. And I'm going to judge whether a certain person is great in the kingdom and another person is going to be least in the kingdom. And I'm going to pass that judgment. The problem with us doing that is that we are human beings, we are flawed, we are sinful by nature, and we tend to make mistakes all the time, especially when it comes to judging by appearance. Whenever somebody is trying to sell themselves to somebody else, we always mess this up. We never give the right value for ourselves when we're trying to present ourselves and our value to somebody else. We will always skew that scale too high or too low. Many people scale that scale too high and they carry themselves and they think that they are God's gift to this earth and they hold their value and their esteem much higher than they should. And so then they walk around all high and mighty as if they know what their value is and they're trying to sell themselves too high. We then have a rampant problem also, especially among young people that have been told many lies by the world and by the adversary that to tell you that your value is diminished, that you're not worth anything, and we have a great deal of people suffering with depression, that look in the mirror and they sell themselves too short. They say, man, I'm not, I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth anybody's time. Nobody really loves me. Nobody calls me, texts me. I don't really have very many friends, if at all. And we have this systemic problem within human beings in society of never being able to sell ourselves with the appropriate value. That's because we are biased and we do not have the righteous ability to pass that judgment. What we need is we need people who do make righteous judgments to determine those things. That's why we have court cases and that's why we have judges to preside over these issues. But what we honestly need to do is we need to look to the righteous judge. We need to look to Elohim for what he sees. What does he see in the value of people and in the value of things? We always tend to see something different because of our sinful nature. We have to look to him. He is the righteous judge. And when it comes to, you know, anybody, you know, within a community Many of us believers, we we will say and we'll confess and we're like, you know what? The Lord knows the value of that person. The Lord is the one passes judgment. Even when somebody looks like they are a sinner and they are a blight on society, anybody who actually is really smart about this has to say and has to confess and say, look, uh, you know what? I'm not righteous enough to determine that. Only the Lord knows. Every time somebody, you know, when somebody passes away, you'll, you'll hear people ask the question. They're like, oh, well, were they saved? Or what was their, you know, anyway, and some people might say, oh, yes, well, they had a great uh, prayer life and Christian life and they never missed church on Sunday. And then other people might say, well, it's like, ah, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they were saved, if they had a testimony. Might I recommend that we never pass that judgment whatsoever? I hate it when people ask that question. 
because only the Lord knows. We're not going to get that answer here on earth. The Lord is the righteous judge that makes the judgment and the determination of the value of a person, the value of a soul, the value of what somebody did or accomplished in their life. God is the righteous judge who makes that determination. Let's turn to Mark chapter 7. And this is a, uh, this is a pretty famous passage as well. Talking very much, now there's a couple of quotes. There is a quote specifically back to our Torah portion here in this passage that I want to address, but this is still some of the same ideas of judging by appearance, looking at the surface level of what people do and act, and not looking deeper at what is truly in the heart of a person or heart of an individual, which is what God says we are to look to. Let me start here in Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. It says this, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, to the Messiah, having come to Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault for the Pharisees of all the Jews. Do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered him and said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it was written? These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to him, the Messiah is still speaking, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. That's directly quoted from our Torah portion. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have uh, received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. This is where somebody has taken the commandments of God And they have taken the surface level of how you could keep this commandment and then saying, well, that's that's done. The the commandment has been kept. He's specifically referring to the honoring of your father and mother, which is from the Ten Commandments, and also the part where if he curses his father and mother, he shall be put to death. That is a commandment that said that to, to all of Israel, that that is something that you cannot allow in your communities to where somebody would, would curse their father and their mother and that that is a, 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 an offense punishable by death. But what he's referring to is he's referring to somebody who has, and, and a group of people who have whitewashed the commandment to say that if I've given this gift or, or the, the, in accordance with tradition to my parents, well, then that commandment is now fulfilled and it now no longer matters what somebody does in the course of honoring their father or their mother. And he's quoting the Isaiah here directly at him, as harsh as those words could be, talking about people that honor the Lord with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. This is exactly where we look at the surface of what the commandments are. And if you keep the commandments of God, that must mean you obey the commandments of God and you have fulfilled the commandments of God. Have you? 
Absolutely not. Because if you have replaced those commandments with the traditions of men, and if your heart is turned away from the Lord, yet you do things on the surface, doesn't the Lord see what's going on inside your heart? Doesn't God see a different value than you might assess that you have kept the commandments of God? That's exactly what is going on here. And that is exactly what the Messiah is speaking to directly to the, 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 what these men are doing when they basically are whitewashing the commandments with the traditions of men. Later on in the passage, he's talking about the, the, what somebody speaks and how somebody speaks is what defiles him. Not talking about foods and not talking about what man eats is, that makes him unclean, but he says this at verse 20, he said to him, what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. It is not the judgment of appearances. Because somebody could be walking around looking like they are the most righteous of all people, keeping the commandments looking like they keep the commandments, acting like they keep the commandments. But is that some sort of guarantee that we judge that that person is righteous? Anybody looking at the outside appearance might say, yes, that person is righteous. Yeah, what's going on inside the heart of that person? Because that person could still, they, they could fulfill all the traditions of men to walk according to the commandments. And then that person can simply just be an evil person filled with lewdness, fornications, murder in his thoughts, in his heart, coveting things that aren't his. Even though he doesn't act on those things, that's what's in the guy's heart. That's what the value of that person is. This is the deeper level of the Torah that we must have as believers in Yeshua the Messiah that Yeshua is trying to teach us. It's not that these command, that the, the, the spirit of the law or this looking deeper at the heart of a person supersedes or, or, or uh, makes null and void the commandments that Moses gave us. But these are the descriptions by which deeper down below the surface of the commandments that are on the page, this is what we must follow. This is what has to be in our heart in the course of doing the commandments. This is what it is when God says that He will write His commandments on our heart, not just on tablets of stone. The tablets of stone are there for us to read and to learn, but then we must look inward at ourselves and keep those commandments with our heart, with the spirit of the law. That's the part that the Messiah sees. That's the part that God can look upon, and He knows the value of what we do. He knows the value of the commandments that we follow and that we keep. And it's that deeper level on the inside is how He looks. Now, once again, we have to understand the, the, the value of all of these different things in these commandments. I do want to point out a couple of the other commandments that are in our Torah portion and how they relate to some other New Testament passages here. After going through all of the instructions, um, talking about responsibility for property and for um, uh, whether it be homicide, manslaughter, different things like that, there are some now moral laws that are given to us here at the end of chapter 22. Talking about, of course, um, you know, certain areas where the sorceress, somebody who uh, is a witch among you practicing witchcraft, 
shall be put to death. These are commandments that are also reiterated in the book of Leviticus, commanding the children of Israel to be holy. But there's one that I want to point out that needs to be addressed as well. And that was talking about the mistreatment to a stranger and affliction that comes upon a widow or an orphan. In chapter 22 at verse 21 of Exodus in our Torah portion, he says, You shall not mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are a stranger in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out, cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. This, is, this goes deeper into the idea about not afflicting those that have no protection for themselves. The Messiah addressed this also in Matthew chapter 18, talking about truly what he sees in the value of a child, because that what were things we might look at, and this is something that's a very big problem uh, in our society today, when we have when we have the abortion problem that we have in our Western society is that we don't see value within a child or someone who is little among us within the community. Because we might look and we might think the value of somebody is associated with what they're able to do or contribute to the community. And a child, obviously, not very big, not very strong, can't contribute much. And so some might say that there is a lesser value of a child versus an adult. Well, funny, interesting that the Messiah specifically talked about children here in Matthew chapter 18. He says this, At that time the disciples came to Yeshua saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Yeshua called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Here we might look and we might see the, the Messiah here, I believe, is, is teaching the very principle of that affliction that might come upon a child who cannot even defend themselves. That's absolutely in the Torah. That's in the commandments that the affliction shall not come against them because the wrath of God will become hot and that we like the, the sword and, and God will put you to death if you cause harm to a child like that. That's what, the, that's what the promise that God makes. And the Messiah takes it one step further to say, the children are the example by which those who are great in the kingdom, the one who is simply humble, humble within the community, if they are, if they are a believer in God, if they follow the commandments, if they honor their father and the mother, that that is, that is exactly what you should aspire to be as somebody as small as a child within a community. And the Messiah points this out to them. And this is obviously, you know, uh, uh, fascinating to the disciples. It's interesting, the disciples, we always got to remember this, the disciples were young men themselves. There's no way that the disciples could have been older than in their 20s, perhaps, by any imagination of, of or chronology of how much longer they lived after the, uh, after the testimony of the Messiah. 
and that these were young men and that Yeshua even teaches them to even look younger at the one who has a heart and a desire, that, that potential to believe in God, that is what is greatest in the kingdom. Once again, we're not judging upon appearances. We're not a judging upon this, the, the, some little guy that has no strength and, there's, and they're not very tall and, 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 and can't even reach something off the counter and that that person is the greatest of the kingdom. That's what God sees. God sees the children and sees the value in them when human beings left to their own devices even consider that to be less than in life or in society. And that's something we have to turn around. We have to turn around this idea of, once again, judging by appearances, not by their youth, not by their size, not by their strength, not by what they look like on the outside, but what does God see in each person? That is the valuation by which we must operate. First of all, with all the mistakes we make, I might suggest that we just set aside our own judgments our own uh, judgments of, of what is right, what is wrong, what is fair, and all these things. And why don't we really just let the Lord handle some of these things sometimes? He's the one that is the righteous judge who makes these proper judgments. Because if we do not follow what God has said about some of these things, we are going to make the wrong judgment. That's what this, all of these commandments are all about, is judgments on how to operate within a community and, and to just live life. And we have to make sure we're always living life according to what God has called us to do. Now, some, uh, some other commandments that come from our Torah portion, uh, talking about one, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. This one is very important in this day and age when we have certain people that speak ill of our president or the leaders of other countries, and we have a serious problem that if we somehow think that we are, can curse them without ramifications, the Bible has something to say about that. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> we also have the commandment talking about in verse 2 of chapter 23 of Exodus, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn away, turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in a dispute. This is where we join with the majority. Join with the crowd. This is what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is saying. So that must be right, right? Absolutely not. It's a logical fallacy. It's called the bandwagon fallacy, where you don't just join with those that are committing horrible, terrible uh, sins just because the many are doing it does not make it right. You see, you see the image all the time on the internet talking about that just because something is legal or everybody's doing it does not make it morally right. As many atrocities that have occurred in our lifetime were legal at the time to do, such as the Holocaust or uh, certain oppressions and civil rights issues. Certain things were legal at the time that did not make them right. Now, we see an example of this in, our, in uh, the Gospel of John, in chapter 18. This is when the Messiah is standing before Pilate, and he comes before Pilate. Now, I always love this, this interchange. I'm always, every time I read it, I almost see it, feel like I, I see something different, or I'm trying to get the sense of Pilate's personality here, that he was a ruler among the people. The, uh, the high priest, the priests bring the Messiah to Pilate and say, here, you judge him. You judge according to your laws, the Roman law, 
and judge him in accordance to that because they wanted to have their hands clean of whatever uh, uh, punishment they wanted to come upon the Messiah for all the things that he said that they considered to be blasphemous. And you see the Messiah talking to Pilate. There, I always see this as almost a very respectful interchange between Pilate and the Messiah. That the Messiah truly does show this, show this respect that it's all like, you know, it's like you, it's like I've been brought before you, you're the judge, you're the, what are you going to do? And then starts asking questions and there's this inter, different interchange and he's like, so I hear that you're a king, king of the Jews. And then Messiah's like, are you speaking this because you learned this on your own or have others told you this? And so if there ever was this idea that Pilate believed the words of what Messiah was saying, that he was a king when he's saying that he is a ruler, his kingdom is not of this earth, but of heavenly origin. And he's saying all these things. And Pilate, it's, it's funny because Pilate doesn't immediately dispute this guy. He doesn't immediately say like, oh, this guy's crazy or anything like that. That's not recorded for us in scripture, though he might've thought that. But there's this respect between these two having this conversation. Once again, like I said, the, the cursing of a, of a ruler kind of thing, where somebody that the Messiah is not coming in and cursing him as a ruler of the people. That would be a sin according to Torah. And so, so I see this commandment being played out in this interchange between the Messiah and with Pilate. But then immediately following that, when, he said, when, when Pilate then turns back to the Jews and he's saying, it's all like, well, it's now time for the Passover. You want me to release to you this person, the king of the Jews, or maybe this other prisoner or whatever. And you see that all the people cry together and they say, no, not that man. We want a Barabbas to be freed, the, other, uh, the robber, the other criminal that's being enlisted. And you see the crowd joining in with the injustice that was taking place. This is the collapse of the civility of the commandments that are supposed to be within this Jewish people that follow the commandments of Moses, to not join in with a crowd to, for, for the sake of injustice. Just because everybody's crying out and doing it doesn't mean that it's right. Or that this man has come and it's like, and they're calling him a king and, and some people, and there's no respect for him as a teacher, as any position or of authority, and that you see the collapse and the absolute failure of these commandments from our Torah portion being fulfilled. That is why these commandments are here. This is why the, the, you can see the example in the New Testament of these commandments not being fulfilled within this community and within this body. And this is the same group of Jews that are going to go into Roman captivity in a few short decades afterwards. This is the collapse of civil community lifestyle, according to Torah, playing out for us in the narrative of the New Testament. That's what these commandments are for. And we're, so once again, like I said, supposed to go and look deeper into the commandments, truly what's in the hearts of the people, not just ones that follow the commandments with outward appearances. I want to conclude with this. Going back to our Torah portion in Exodus, there is a prophecy that is given to us in Exodus 23, beginning at verse 20, where God is speaking to Moses and he's saying, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, 
and I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. This is a prophecy that can be nothing short of a prophecy of the Messiah that comes from our Torah portion. This prophecy of an angel, a messenger that is going to become before and could become to the children of Israel. And that it says that he will pardon transgressions twice in our New Testament, in Mark 2 at verse 7 and in Luke 5 at verse 21. There it is an un, there's an understanding within the Jews in the, in the first century that only God can pardon sins. Only God can pardon the sins and of, of the breaking of the commandments. And that this prophecy here in our Torah portion points only to God and the Messiah, His ability to forgive us our sins and our transgressions. This is a prophecy from our Torah portion directly to the Messiah. Once again, the Messiah is throughout all of our Torah portions and in our psyche. In the commandments, you can see the fulfillment of commandments in the New Testament. And you can see the prophecies from the Torah pointing to the Messiah, the need for a Savior, and that they are all one. They are all one and together. It's the same narrative. It's the same story. And when the Messiah spoke and taught Torah, we must learn that we cannot separate the two when it comes to the commandments of God and then the teaching and the fulfillment of those commandments through the life of Yeshua the Messiah. Once again, we have more parallels that come from our Torah portions each and every week that I hope that we can bring out uh, every time that you join us here on B'nai So once again, thank you for joining us once again. I pray that this message was a blessing to you. Now let us close out this service with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time once again to study your word and your instruction. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you for giving us your words, your commandments, your instructions, and Father, even examples of fulfillments and failures of those instructions. We thank you for the testimony and the writers of the New Testament and the, the records that we have, Lord, of what the Messiah said and what he did when he walked this earth. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for making the Torah alive and powerful, encouraging us, strengthening us in our most holy faith with the words of your Son, Yeshua of Nazareth. We love you, bless you, and thank you. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.